podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Across the Pond NHL Podcast, part of Across the Pond Sports Network. Don't forget to drop us a rating and review after the episode. Check us out on social media and on our website at atpsports.net. So I'm here with Emily Williams. Emily is the author of Lady Fleet. Emily, welcome to Across the Pond. It's great to have you here. And you're going to be talking to us today about your new book, which, by the way, is available on Amazon because um, it's where I got it from twice because I decided to get the physical copy and the digital copy because, I don't know, I'm a bit weird that way. I don't know, I'm old school. I like, like the physical book. Um, so you've got two sales from Scotland, so there you go. Perfect. <laughs> it's perfect, though, is it? So you've been doing a lot of kind of podcasts and stuff. How has that been so far? It's been insane and super exciting. And what I tell people is, I love the podcast because obviously I get to talk about my book and everything, but what I'm enjoying more is the connections I'm making and the people who I'm meeting because through talking with different folks and learning about their story and kind of their sports journeys and where they are either as a career in sports or just, it's like their favorite thing to do on a Saturday night, just talk about sports on a podcast. Uh, I've met so many different people who I never would have met before. And I think that is the glorious capabilities of the internet as well, <laughs> that we can connect across countries and across states and places and time zones. And I've just loved it. It's been total chaos though sometimes because <laughs> I do have a regular nine to five and I'm like, I'll just work late tonight. And I'll just talk to this person at noontime, which is also the perks of working from home as I get to schedule these up my lunch break sometimes. <laughs> so I guess the pandemic's maybe been a bit helpful in that regard (laughs) if you get to work from home yes um I have been fortunate in this pandemic I didn't have to lose my job I got to just transition to full remote working and I no longer I would work in the center of Boston and prior to COVID I had a four-hour commute so now I don't have a commute so (laughs) I have all this time wow that is a four-hour commute I take it that's that's both ways not just one way four hours yeah um it was an hour uh, hour car ride to the train station and then an hour train into town wow that is that's (laughs) brutal geez I thought I thought I used to have it bad I used to like take an hour to get across town wow (laughs) mental Um, so before before we get into your book I want to talk about your kind of journey in sports you're from Boston, so obviously there's a, a big, big sporting connection in Boston. You know, they've only got a couple of sports teams there. Um, yeah. what, what got you into sports? Why did you decide that that was kind of, that was what you were going to do? So when I was really little, um, my mom essentially put us in sports. That was kind of her thing that she wanted us to do outside of like school and play and everything. And actually, because I've been doing podcasts in this book, I, I was talking about like, yeah, I talked about how I always did sports. And my mom was like, I signed you guys up because I didn't want you guys doing the stupid stuff I was doing when I was a teenager. And I'm like, oh, that was your motivation. And like, she was really honest. She's like, yeah, I didn't have extracurriculars. If I wanted to do something, I had to go out and do it. And I didn't want you guys to feel that. And I didn't know with you guys growing up, I didn't know if you or your brother were going to be like type A and just jump right in or type B. So from a young age, I put you guys in sports so that you had something to do and that you were busy and doing something productive. And that's kind of how I got into sports. It's just my mom was like, I'm not going to let you guys do dumb teenage stuff that I did. So that's how it all started. But 
as I started doing different sports, either like t-ball or I mean, we're talking about really little t-ball, basketball, soccer. I really felt comfortable with basketball. It felt natural to me. Uh, running and passing and dribbling that felt way more natural than taking a ball or <laughs> having someone throw something at me and then I have to hit it like that was kind of scary sometimes it would come really fast I was afraid it was going to hit my face I remember that fear very vividly <laughs> and so then as I got older I started to specialize in basketball and that's all I wanted to do I, I was very vocal about it because my mom's like why don't you try swimming you like to swim I was like no, that's something I do for fun. I want to do something competitive. It's got to be basketball. So probably around fifth grade was when my journey to specialization started. And I really kind of, from seventh grade on, I played AAU. So spring and fall were dedicated to basketball. Winter season was travel and rec. So I was on two teams normally in the wintertime. And then summer was summer league Um, up until high school. And then in high school, I actually got a one-on-one coach who taught me how to shoot because out of all the skills I learned, I still didn't know how to shoot by age 15. And so my mom's like, if you want to be serious, I will get you a coach to teach you how to shoot, but you have to be dedicated and like actually have to practice outside of your sessions. And that coach actually wound up being one of my hugest mentors. He really taught me a lot of life lessons in those practices. And I think without them, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I've told him this on like several occasions as an adult, like I'll text him and be like, you know, that thing you taught me when I was like 14 or 15, like I still do that. And he's like, thanks kid. Like I'm retired in South Carolina now, but he, he's nice about it, but it's funny. So that hit like him and I still text, but I do let him know, Hey, I'm thankful and grateful for what you taught me. But come junior year of high school, um, because of specialization, what happens to your body is you only work out the same muscles again and again and again. And I went for a run with a friend, which is very different because basketball, you're sprinting and you're squatting. You're not really doing anything else. So my outer, um, your IT, my IT bands were a stressed out and B my quads on my outer quads are super strong. My inner thighs are not so strong. And those are the muscles you need for running. And I actually wound up pulling my kneecaps off track. So I had bone on bone going on and that injury kind of slowed me down because I had to recover from the injury. And then recover from the six weeks of not doing any kind of sport and then I jumped into my first varsity season I started that season off with a knee injury and I finished with the concussion so I did great it was a great season uh, <laughs> a basketball hit me in the face and I got a concussion it's one of my favorite fun facts to share um, I had a concussion from a basketball hit me in the face <laughs> and um, after that I felt so defeated because I felt that over the next six months until next season I wasn't going to catch up it was going to be senior season. I felt like I was going to just sit the bench and the varsity coach kind of hinted that to me, like you might ride the bench your senior year. And I, that's not how I wanted to remember my last season playing. It's just like being a senior thinking I was going to get at least some playing time after doing my like dues as a junior. And I was kind of told, no, you're going to ride the bench. And so come senior year, I decided not to play basketball, but I did track instead because that's what all my other friends were doing who either like didn't make teams or just didn't have another sport like I had. So I wound up throwing shot put and discus and track <laughs> senior year, just out of nowhere. And I really enjoyed it because I got to work out and that's where I really learned about how exercise and physical development, because in track you're doing multiple events. I mean, though, all I did was throw, I did have to like do sprints. I had to do long distance runs because the idea of track, at least at my high school was well-rounded body. So that's what I got to learn through that season. And then college happened. I took some time off from sports because after 
just the emotional toil of being in basketball all the time. I was like, you know what? I need a break. I need a break from competitive sports and just like to find who I am without that, which was a lot of work to do because when you identify with a jersey and a ball for literally six, seven years for like every day, that kind of that emotional shift and mental shift was a very tough challenge, but it was worthwhile because I came out of it. I met my husband and he had a best friend who happened to coach soccer and he always talked about how much he loved it. And I always talked about sports with him. I was like, you know what? I'm going to coach basketball now just because I met this guy who was so passionate about it. And I, that resonated with me. And that's when I walked into our rec department and said, Hey, do you have a spot for a coach? I'm low, I'm new to town. And they just gotten out of college. And I was like, is there anything? And he's like, well, our middle school team needs a coach. Not thinking I was going to get like a competitive team, thinking I was going to get like one of those once a week, like for fun. No, they threw me right in the deep end. They're like, here you go. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I've been coaching girls basketball. I'm actually with an AAU team this season, which is really exciting because I feel like I'm in the big leagues now (laughs) by taking up that AAU team with like state and national tournaments coming up. So it's just been such a big part of my life and such an exciting journey. I'm actually so glad that like, that that bit has a happy ending that you found coaching because I have to say like hearing that that coach had basically told you yeah you're gonna ride the pines next year that that must have been absolutely like demoralizing because if, and and it, I just can't fathom why a coach would do that because the last thing I coach basketball as well and the last thing I would do is tell a player you're probably gonna ride the pine because for for one thing you're going to like kill the kid's spirit. And for the second thing, you don't know what that kid's going to look like in four or five months time. That kid could go have a great summer, work out and come back the best player in the team. And he just wrote you off. That's terrible as a coach. It had to do with my captain's interview because there was only two seniors interviewing for captains. And so assuming the two seniors would get it, I think he was trying to hint to me like, you're not going to be a captain because you're most likely going to ride the bench. And I think that was his intention to like, try to set my expectations for the captainship, which I obviously didn't get. Um, He gave it to a junior instead, which also broke my heart because he always had picked three captains. And that year he only picked two and one was a senior, one was a junior. And I was like, I could have just, I've been playing basketball for so long coach. Like you could just given it to me. But yeah, as you said, it totally killed my spirit. And the funny thing is with this coach, um, I actually had him as a teacher my senior mm-hmm. year, such a different teacher than he was a coach. I remember talking to my dad after school one day and be like, he's an amazing teacher. I don't get why he's not like this as a coach. And it, I think now being a coach and like recognizing like what it is to be a coach, I think part of it is a good coach leaves their ego at the door. I'm not there for me. And I think part of him was there for him, not not to nag him or anything, but I think part of him was his ego. And because his first, and this is like, I grew up in such a small town. This is small town politics. When he came in his first year as a coach, there was a set of six girls coming in as freshmen who everyone knew these girls were going to be all-stars. They're going to be great. They went to state championships. And my one-on-one coach and the other coach who got the job went for the position. My coach, my one-on-one coach didn't get it because he wasn't a teacher. My my varsity coach got it because he worked in the school. So it like became this big political thing. Like, 
why didn't the other coach get it? Like blah, blah, blah. And like these girls just made his life easy. He just had a starting five right off the bat. So when he got to my class, we weren't that great. (laughs) We had maybe a couple of us that were good, but there wasn't like six deep where you could be like, these girls are going to win state championships. It just wasn't there. Yeah. You sometimes find that um, even in the pros, um, you you see a team that is absolutely stacked and they put a, a mouthpiece in rather than a coach and you know he's, he does a great job you know you know leading a, an all-star team and then the all-star team leave and he gets given some not so goody all-star kind of players and yeah it falls apart and he's out of a job quite soon after right which is I think as a coach you need to be able to coach everyone and I was actually on a call with another with a woman who I work with and she's a coach outside of our regular day job and she's like you're only as strong as your weakest sub and I was like exactly <laughs> you can't just have six deep and be like yeah we'll win everything no you have to have a whole bench deep or you're not going to be successful at least do, in the age group I coach you need, I know you're a Boston fan right but could you phone Tom Thibodeau and just tell him that because that'd be great if you could because I'm sick of watching <laughs> the Knicks play and they play seven players and I like <laughs> just, I can try making some calls, see if I know anyone, if I've met anyone. Yeah, because like it's just it's, oh, it's just painful watch. I mean, they're actually winning games, to be fair, so it is working for them. But yeah, it's a pain to watch. Um, so think of all the money on the bench that they're just spending for people to sit there and look pretty, but that's a different problem. Well, looking pretty is is of, of questionable as well. Uh, so, um, why was it you decided to to write the book? Obviously, you've had a lot of experience kind of growing up through sports, but why did you decide to put pen to paper? COVID, um, for the most blunt reason, I couldn't coach anymore. I couldn't go to my kids and like teach these lessons and like have fun and like have that moment and. I was on the call with a colleague and we were going back and forth and she stopped me. She's like, what, like just about life and just how this pandemic is awful. We're all stuck at home. And she's like, what would you be doing right now if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic? And I just start going off. Like I'd be coaching girls basketball. I'd be building, helping build a program. I was like, cause we just bought a house. So we're fine. We've decided this is where we're going to live for a little while. And so for me, from a community aspect, I was ready because I was just kind of a coach who would hop around um, because my husband's in the army. So we moved around until he got out. And so it's like, we have a house. This is where we're going to be for a while. And I was ready to kind of just jump in. And then the pandemic happened. So all of a sudden, all these dreams of like doing all this basketball stuff kind of ended for a period of time. And I tried getting involved with some other programs, but a lot of them just totally shut down. And it took until the spring for me to find a team. And I just, again, I started going off to her and she's like, wow, you know a lot and you have a lot of good things to say and girl, your team probably benefits from this. And I was like, I hope they do because I don't stop talking and they just kind of nod at me, but <laughs> I don't think they're the lessons. And I was thinking to myself, like really being really self-reflective and I'm like, how do I take all this energy I had in that moment? Cause I came off that call, like, like on a high, like so amped, so excited. And it just kind of hit me the idea of like, how do I reach a broader audience? And my thought was, why don't I write a book? It's something accessible. It's something that for the most part, people can get their hands on through libraries and other things. And it could just be out there for anyone who needs it because my impact as a coach is my 12 girls I get every season. But what if I wrote a book, I could reach more people and more players and kind of hit a larger community. So that's how the idea of the book started was, I just 
a total high of like, I love what I do outside of work and how do I continue that in this weird place we are today? Well, it's a good book. I've read it. I think we were, we were <laughs> in a you. clubhouse room today and I admitted that yeah. in life, I'm not the greatest reader. Um, I think I tried to read a book once and sent my wife to sleep after about five minutes. And it was a long, it wasn't a very long book either. But I've only read, up until now, I've only read two books cover to cover. And that was Alex Ferguson's autobiography and Roy Keane's autobiography, both in soccer. And, but this, I read cover to cover because I started it and I kind of got into it. And I think because even I, I could recognize a lot of similarities into what I've seen and into what I've gone through as well. Um, so one of the big things that stood out to me, and, and maybe as a guy, it just didn't really kind of ever trigger with me before. I've seen it around, but I've never really kind of acknowledged it, was names of the teams. And I thought that is actually such a big thing. So at the club I coach at, that I played at, it's called City of Edinburgh Basketball Club. And within the club, they have two teams. They have the Kings and they have the Cats. The Cats is spelled with a K. And I, I thought, and after reading this, I thought, actually, I think my club do it the right way because they have an overarching City of Edinburgh Basketball Club. The whole club is one name. Under that, you then have the, the two teams, the Kings and the Cats. And I, I thought that quite that works quite well. There's other teams that have a name and then that's their, their kind of men's team. And then their women's team are called Lady. Like it always has Lady in front of it. And I thought, because there's one team, I, I won't mention them, but there, there is one particular team where the pro team and, and their pro team um, in the UK are, are called a particular name and their non-pro women's team just have lady in front of it. And I thought that's actually really lazy for one because you're, <laughs> lazy. Just, you're just adding a word. Um, <laughs> and I thought it, it actually does make a difference. And it's not something, like I say, I'd ever thought of before. Um, but I thought that this is something that, why do you, because I think you use the, the example of lady warriors in the book and I was kind of like that and it's quite similar to the one that I'm I'm thinking of and I was like this that must have a kind of psychological impact as well because when people think oh, I'm going to go watch a basketball game and I'm going to go watch the rocks and you go and see the rocks and you're like oh the rocks are great but then you see another advertisement you say oh Oh, the Lady Rocks are playing. Oh, the Lady Rocks. All oh, right, okay. So that's girls basketball. Oh, well. And like, yep. should there be a differentiation or should they just all be the same name? I think either way. I think if you're going to differentiate, I like how it's the Knights and the Cats because they kept the K, but they just changed the word afterwards. So I like that approach. Um, I honestly thought you were going to say Knights and Queens, and I was going to be like, oh, no, oh, no, it's, uh, it's king, Kings and Cats. Oh, kings, kings and Cats. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I don't know where Knight came from. <laughs> Making stuff up at this point, um, <laughs> where I am today. Uh, so uh, Kings and Cats, I like that. I thought you were going to say Kings and Queens, and I was going to be like, yeah. But when you say Cats, I was like, oh, that's cool, because it's the same concept, both Ks, but with just different name, or like letters after it. Um, 
I think, yes, you're right. Adding lady is super lazy. And I think when you're looking at kids sports, it should just be the same. Like, why is it the girls team have to be different than the boys team with essentially a quantifier? I think at the professional level, it, they should be different because they are different leagues. They are different people. They're not, they might be associated, but I think for the most part, a lot of these teams aren't associated together because I don't think they do a lot of work together. I mean, every now and again, you might see something, but I don't know if there's any official, this is like the Celtics and Boston doesn't have a women's basketball team, but <laughs> Because I don't know, I got mad when I found that out like a couple of years ago. I was like, wait, why didn't why doesn't Boston have one? But <laughs> but you know, I think the Lady Celtics would be weird because honestly, the image I have is cheerleaders when you throw a lady in front of it. That's what I have. And cheerleaders, though, are super athletes. They can do things with their bodies, like flipping them around. I'm just like, why? That defies gravity. But it's just a different sport. It's not that like rugged and like get down in the mud kind of sport it's a performance sport and that's just always what comes to my mind when I think of lady insert name um we have I'm in Massachusetts we have the Cape Cod Canal and where I first really saw this was there was a town right near there that was a high school and they're the canalmen so it's a gendered mascot fine happens that was in the early 2000s so it's whatever but to address the gender issue, they were just like, let's just put lady in front of it. And so they're the lady canalmen. I'm like, why does it matter? Just either keep canalmen or pick a different mascot that doesn't have a gender. There we go. There's the solution. Why did you have to go out and add and like, just like cricket or hot glue or whatever you did add lady to all the uniforms. <laughs> but yeah, that's, like like oh. I say, it just, it just, now that I think about it, it just appears lazy yeah. because I just think that, yeah. It, it means they just add one word. It just doesn't make, now it doesn't make sense to me just because I've, I've kind of seen it. And I think your book kind of brings awareness to it and right from the start yeah. as well, because it really did make me, me think of it. And then I thought of my club then, and I was like, actually, you know what? I think my club actually do it quite well. There's a few clubs around Scotland, I think, do it a similar way. Um, they've not just kind of added lady in there. So um, I think it is a lot better. Um, I think... A good example in America for, for pros is the Timberwolves and the Lynx. I know their player development head is very keen to keep the two teams linked. He very much likes that. He works for both teams. So he's very keen to kind of keep the two teams together, although they are separate playing their own leagues and everything. He, he does like the kind of camaraderie that the two teams have and they do get together and stuff. So now nah, I, I like that. But yeah, it, it was something that, that actually did make me think straight off the bat as to to even just how the name of the team can kind of have a, a negative impact kind of mentally as well. So you talk about not making the team. That that's that's that was a big kind of thing because I think it happens to us all at some stage. You know, we don't make a team. But I like how you in the book kind of describe how to kind of deal with that, asking questions. But not asking questions that you cannot answer because I'm probably the world's worst for doing that. I'm like, why, why, why could that not be? Why could that not be? And obviously I'm never going to get the answer to that, but you, you kind of compartmentalize it and you kind of break it all down in the, in the kind of first chapter. And you kind of, I just like how you kind of broke it down so that 
and because kids, I mean, I was a kid once, you know, it was a long time ago. And, you know, we all were once. Yeah. And like, I was a kid that overcomplicated things and I overthought things. And I can imagine girl or boy, especially when you're not making a team. Oh, wow. That can, that could really have a, an impact. And, you know, it did for me, if I didn't make a team, I was like downtrodden for about two weeks and, you know, it was the worst thing in the world that could ever have happened to me. But I think you seem to, you forget when you're a kid that actually that mentality that you then take for those two weeks then has an impact on everything else in your life, family life, school life and everything else, school work and whatever else. So that's some, is that something that you kind of developed as you were going up or is that just something in kind of hindsight that you you kind of learned it was something it was kind of both because growing up whenever I'd make decisions or whenever I get super emotional uh, my dad would always be like write a list write a pro and a cons list and so that's where I started realizing I was like wait I can write lists for other things like questions I want answered or kind of just organizing my emotions and when I got older so when I was going through college I wanted to be a math teacher the teacher part didn't happen because I, when I went to apply for jobs, apparently they didn't have enough. They had too many math teachers, which everyone asked how that happened. I was like, I don't know. So I went into a different field. But a class I took in college was adolescent psychology. And I learned a lot about myself in that class. And one of it is that teenagers don't see the future. They don't understand that there are repercussions to things. And it's something you don't learn until you're older. Like your brain just has a hard time processing that. And so I think when I was looking back on kind of being a teen and when I see kids get upset on the court and at practice, I always ask them to start to identify their emotions and start to think through, okay, be upset right now because I have to put you back in the game. So it might have started out a little selfish where I'm like, I need you to cry and get it out and then I need to put you back in. So it might have been selfish on how I learned that kind of trick. But I really like the example of not making a team because I think it had the largest impact on me when I didn't get a spot on a team that I thought I, I thought I deserved. And I thought I was going to walk in and be like, yeah, I'm on this team. And it's like, no, you're not. And how do you work through that? And one of the biggest things that, I preach is letting yourself feel your feelings. And that I think is because I grew up learning, you don't just shove it down, shove it down, push it down. And then one day I would explode. And so as an adult, I learned the mechanism, like I'm frustrated right now. I will let myself be frustrated for like five minutes and then I'll continue my day because then I wouldn't blow up about some odd like someone not forgetting to get my coffee order. I wouldn't blow up at the person or something really minuscule. So that part was definitely learned um, as an adult, but writing the lists and being like, I want to know why was something I learned as a kid because I was always asking why. No matter what it was, like why is the grass green? Why are trees tall? I think I always had that nature for questions and I finally came across a question I couldn't have answered. Why did she make the team over me? they're not going to tell you that no one's going to tell you why you someone else got picked over you so once I finally had a question no one had an answer to I realized like okay I have to be okay with not having an answer and so that's why in that section I really put that in there because you kind of got to learn to be okay that you're not going to know all the details of your situation and you're right as as much as like you definitely you're like like I want to know I want to know I want to know um yeah, you're never ever going to find out. And let's be honest, if you went to that coach and you said, 
right? Why'd you pick her over me? That's a really awkward conversation that, that's going to occur. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't even know how I would handle that. If a kid can send, like, why? I've had kids ask me the question, why did she play over me? And that I feel comfortable answering. That's a bit different, because, yeah. Yeah, but, like, I could never imagine if a kid gets cut from a team and, like, the parent hasn't called me. I'd be like, put your mom back on the phone, and I'm going to tell her that this is inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. That, just, that would be just my response. Yeah, just a smidge. Um, oh, geez. Um, so it's depicted in, in teen movies and movies in general um, that come out of America that the jock or the, the quarterback walking down the high school hallway, you, you kind of identify him straight away because he's got the varsity kind of jacket on and cheerleaders walking behind him, doing his homework for him, all this kind of stuff. Um, only. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> In real high schools, though, across America, um, I, I watched, a, and it was an advert that the NBA ran for a couple of years, that girls drop out of basketball at like 14. Like the dropout rate is substantial at, at that age. And it was like, a, it was uh, this is my time kind of message that they were, they were kind of trying to put out. Um, have you, now that you've been coaching, have you noticed that girls are still dropping out and is that something that is because there's barriers in their way from playing and training and stuff or is that just a mindset that they've just kind of run their course and decided you know they, they want to do something else I think it's both I think there's still access issues and privilege issues and those run rampant and I think we are as a society doing a better job to address them but the stigmas of things still live there so my first team I had a I had a six deep bench and it wasn't like they came to me that way. I made them that way. And I am very proud to say that. Like we worked very hard. Their first season, um, the year before without me as a coach, they'd only won two games. Their season with me, they went and won the championship tournament. So like from like I was it was my rookie season and I was like super humble about it. But now looking back, I know that like those six girls who I had and like my starters and then I had a solid bench because I worked them, I worked them hard. It wasn't an easy journey for them. It was a lot of conditioning and learning skills. But I remember reaching out to the high school coach being like, you need to look out for these six girls coming up in their freshman year because they only had a JV and varsity team, which means less spots. So I have 12 kids coming up where I'm like, you have a decent amount. To this day, only three. And not even three of my six, three of the whole team continue to play basketball out of my 12 I had. So wow. girls are still dropping out. And this is like where I lived right after college was super ritzy town. Um, I only lived there because it made my commute easier. And I had like six roommates and it was really cheap But um, for us. But the town, it wasn't a privilege problem. It wasn't any of that. It wasn't access. It's these girls felt that they didn't deserve spots on the team. And it came down to height. It came down to that specialization mindset where I have to do one sport and be really good at that one sport. And also there are some just like stigmas around that, that program that kind of came out that the girls just didn't feel confident enough to step up to the challenge. I mean, having a tough program when it comes to how the coaches approach their players and not having that empathetic environment can deter kids to walk away and girls especially if girls don't feel safe in terms of not like physically safe but if they don't feel like they can be themselves or be truly open at their practices they'll walk away and so 
what I try really hard to do. And I try, I try to tell other coaches this. I was like, it, again, leave your ego at the door, but also make them feel heard, make it their space. Because if they feel it's theirs and they can be who they are in that space, you'll see success. I mean, look at the, I pick on her all the time, not pick, but I always call her out. The UCLA coach, Coach Val, that's what she did. Her first three seasons as a head coach, she came in like a stereotypical pick up the chair and throw it across the room coach and they weren't winning. And so she actually asked the girls, what am I doing wrong? And they all said like, this is aggressive. This is intimidating. But once she calmed, like not calmed down, but like took a step back and was like, all right, I'll stop being that approach. They're winning all the time. I mean, look at the superstars coming out of that program. And it's all because the coach took a different approach because they're girls and they are different. Girls and boys are different, <laughs> especially at teenage years, they are different. And we have to treat them with what their needs are. And every team is different. Every kid is different. So you have to be able to read that. And that's, that's my whole thing about coaches. But yeah, I think, I think that's why girls drop out because they don't feel safe with whoever is running the program. Also, I think, I think you're right. I think I've, I've noticed it as well, where a particular coach will be in charge and, you know, players have come to me and said, I don't want to play for them. Like that's, that's not who I want to play for. Don't like the way they coach. So can I play for you? And you're kind of like, well, you have a whole age group that you're going to skip there. So probably not, but <laughs> it, it, it happens. And, and it is, it's unfortunate that some coaches don't get it. It's great that the UCLA coach, you know, it's probably it. good that the, her players stood up to her and said, look, this doesn't work for us. <laughs> this is wrong. Um, yes. <laughs> and it's good that it's probably even better that she recognized that, okay, hang on. Let's see what I can do differently. Because I think it takes a real coach to recognize that because I think the coaches that just do the same thing time after time after time, year after year after year, I think that's those are the kind of coaches you kind of want to weed out because they're not going to harness that kind of safe environment where people want to be there. They're going to feel like they kind of have to be there and it's regimented and everything else. So, nah, I, I can definitely see where that would come in. Uh, what we'll do is we'll take a, a real short break and we'll be right back after this. So by now, you'll have seen our website, atpsports.net. You gotta admit, it's pretty awesome. It was brought to you by the team at Data Squared. You can find them on the web at datasq2.co.uk. They're dedicated to bringing the very best in website design with hosting and security. Their aim is to provide you with the very best package you need to help spread the word about your business. Data Squared will design and build a website for you, and they'll build it not just for desktop, but for all devices so you can be seen on the move. Data Squared will help you choose your domain, making sure it's relevant to you and your business. And they'll open up an online store for you. They have the tools so you can keep track of customers, their orders, stock, and much, much more. So why not expand your business online today? with data squared visit datasq2.co.uk okay so we're back emily is still here with us and we're talking about lady fleets which is available now on amazon so you can go purchase that you can do the digital or you can buy the hard copy or if you're like me you can buy both so we were talking about girls playing sports how much does not being able to see women play sports on tv how much does that impact on girls? Because from a guy's perspective, I, when I was a kid, I see the NBA and, and I see the players all the time. And so I had role models to look to. For girls, that's, that's, that's a bit difficult, isn't it? 
It is. It's really hard. Uh, so I am five foot six. I put this out there because I played center because I've been five foot six since I was 11. So they all thought it was going to be super tall and I stopped growing. Uh, so, but I was adamant and that's like where I excelled. You put me as a guard. I was uncomfortable. I wasn't okay. Like even when they were trying to transition me. So the person who I look to is Kevin Garnett, who doesn't look like me, <laughs> who was a lot taller than me and had to play, and play a very different style forward. I had no one who I could look to who was a shorter forward that I could learn the skills from through visual learning. And something that I do with my players and I tell everyone to do is visual learning and showing them, okay, look at this play, see all the positions, like look at, call out the good things and the bad things. But I wasn't able to do that with someone that looks like me. So psychologically, it's really hard to see yourself doing those things when they don't look like you. And it's also hard to see yourself play basketball or play any kind of sport after a certain point if you don't see it. So for me, the first time I saw someone who looked like me playing a sport post probably high school was Ayla Brown auditioned for American Idol <laughs> and she played basketball at Boston College. And so for me instantly, I was probably like 10. I was young. Was I 10? I don't know. I was like in that, like we have intermediate schools, like that intermediate school age. And I remember being like, I want to play college basketball at Boston College because she literally looked like me. And, and though I am tone deaf, I thought I was good at singing at that age. We and all so do. I was like, oh yeah. So I was like, she likes basketball. She has brown hair. She is a girl and she likes to sing. I get to be her when I'm older. Like I literally could put myself in her shoes. And I think when you don't have women in sports televised at any level, girls can't see themselves doing those things it's really hard it's hard to be a trailblazer it's not something everyone does because it's a challenge and you really have to be able to stretch yourself and I think children especially if we're talking about college level I'm not even talking about what I mean when I was a kid I didn't even know girls played college sports I thought it was just the boys thing like boys went off to college playing sports now it's more talked about but I think having it on tv having it in the media it's, I have a lot of mixed feelings about social media with children, though I do think social media, when it comes to advocating and showing different people doing different things, that's where social media excels because now you can go follow the girl, college girls, um, like Paige from UConn. I follow her on Instagram. Probably wouldn't even have known who she was if it wasn't for social media, like having a friend being like, and posting about her and all her skills, like so long ago or earlier this season and then me being like who is she and then all of a sudden I'm like invested in her I'm like you gone has to win because like I just became invested in her as a person <laughs> and kids having that positive role models and seeing themselves doing these things is why I think it's important because otherwise maybe I wouldn't have played basketball after 10 or 12 because maybe if I didn't know it was a possibility in college I might not have continued so role models for me when I was a kid I was lucky enough to see not in person, it was on TV, but I got to see the dream team. And there was a, a scrawny oh. little white guy called John Stockton. And I was like, wow, he looks like me. I couldn't play soccer because I had two left feet. I was like, <laughs> I have family and friends in Utah. So I was like, he plays for the Utah Jazz. Okay, that's, that's me, you know, he looks like me. He 
sort of talks like me, a bit more of a hick accent, but um, I was gonna say I think a little more southern, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, this, you know, this this could work. You know, I can pass a ball. I mean, how hard can it be? And I went and played basketball. And and that was that was the entire reason I went and played basketball because I seen someone who kind of looked a bit like me. And John Stockton did not look like the model athlete. I mean, yes, he was obviously yeah. exceptionally fit, but he didn't really look it. He looked like a bit like a school teacher back back yeah. in those days. He didn't look like he was a an all-star point guard. So for me, he was just someone I could relate to, just in looks. And when I started watching basketball, like you said, I started watching how he played. And because I was able to do that, I did not become anywhere near close to what John Stockton ever did. Um, so, I mean, that was fine. I was, I'm happy with that. But in terms of role models in Scotland, we had our club, the City of Edinburgh Basketball Club, produced an Olympian who played basketball at the London Olympics at Rose Anderson. I, I was very fortunate that I got to train with Rose Anderson a few times. And I have absolutely no qualms in telling you that she kicked my ass each and every oh, time probably. in a very polite way I must say I shout to Rose but now uh, she went she ended up at Oklahoma so she went to college at Oklahoma and what we've seen from our program is that we are seeing girls now go abroad and go to we've got a girl that plays professionally in Holland we've got a, a girl oh, so cool. who goes <laughs> to Murray State University this is her this will be her ah. rookie season. She's a well, freshman. She's a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so she's at Murray State. So we're starting to see some real progress in our kind of women's game. And to the point where now Scotland has its own women's professional team. And it's made up of young Scottish girls. It's not... It's so not cool. like they're not buying in players from other teams or anything like that. But they, and they've been really successful with that model. And I think that's something that has helped. But Rose Anderson has, although she lives in America now and everything else, when she was here and when she comes over, when she gets to come over out of COVID and everything else, she does spend time with the girls. And oh, she does that makes kind of... And, and it does it makes such a difference because you can see like when Rose walked into a room into a gym like everyone was told oh Rose Anderson's gonna come and like everyone knew who she, everyone throughout the club knows who she is and regardless of age and when she walked into the room like the kids eyes lit up like Christmas trees oh there's Rose Anderson oh this is amazing it's amazing and I just think it's such people were able to see her at the London Olympics because it was on TV and it was on a big stage and everything else. But yeah. we've only had the, MBA, the WNBA on TV for about two years in the UK, the last two seasons. And I think that is now going to have a, a really strong impact because girls are then going to see people that look like them and yeah. can relate to them. And hopefully that's going to be something that spurs it on. Role models, though, can be so important. And I think social media, like you alluded to there, can be a good thing and a bad thing. I I like social media, and I think it can be used for good. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of pro athletes, men and women, I think go out of their way to make it that. Certainly when the when Seattle won the championship. Like, some, some of the social media stuff they were putting out was, like, phenomenal. 
and obviously the team, the organisation went to a lot of effort um, to promote the fact that they'd won the championship and everything else. And it was amazing and it was really, really good. But then for me, it stops. And all the players, yeah. unfortunately, in the women's league then go abroad because, you know, the WNBA doesn't pay a lot in comparison to the NBA. So these Don't women... talk about that. You had to yeah. go there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me so, angry. So, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on your side. Oh, um, no, I figured you're angry with me, but that gets me so riled up. No, <laughs> the it's... The pay difference. Yeah, and but hopefully the fact that sometimes it's not great to talk about sports and money and I think uh, I think in these terms though it has to be talked about because I think the, the difference is what was it LeBron's bonus for winning the championship was the same as Sue Bird's actual annual salary for Seattle yep. which is outrageous she won a championship she's won four championships LeBron has won four championships and I, I hate the arguments about well they don't don't have many teams in the league. They don't go on TV as much, or like there's all these arguments. Then put them on damn TV. Like, and see what happens. And Just see what, see what happens. happens. Maybe people will watch. I mean, and there's now. I think again, we're in a really cool space because you can download apps and get streaming apps to your phone just for the WNBA. That's what I. We don't have cable. Uh, so we live totally in a streaming world. So we have like MLB, we have the football, my husband has a football one. I have, and I have the WNBA. So I think also speaking with voting with our dollar is still a valid thing. Like buying the WNBA merch, which is, I bought a shirt like a month ago and it still isn't here yet. And I'm like, where is my shirt? <laughs> I don't know why FedEx is taking forever, but I think that argument they'll blame is COVID. Someone... <laughs> they'll just blame oh, yeah. COVID. <laughs> yeah, they probably did. They're probably like, oh, maybe maybe someone on a truck or something got like exposed. But so okay. But I think if okay, if that's your argument that they don't bring in as much money, that's why they don't get paid as much. Okay, I'm the person who's going to turn around and start voting with my dollar and start being like, well, I have this merch, I have this app, I do all this for the WNBA why aren't you why, why are they still getting like and if we can start creating people who can afford to do that to kind of switch it the language around because you I can't walk into the TV oh maybe I can now but like before I could I I used to go to TV garden to go see Bruins games I wouldn't see women's stuff for sale I mean I go and if I go into Dick's Sporting Goods to go buy like a Patriots shirt or some other thing. I only see men's teams. I don't see the women's teams there. So how am I supposed to, okay, your argument, fine. That's a valid argument. How am I supposed to support with my dollar if it's not there for me to support? That's, I think, the faultiness of that argument. I hear it, I get it, but okay. Then start putting the merch out there. Start putting their stuff out there. Put it on TV and prove to us that we're wrong. <laughs> prove to me I'm wrong. Prove to me that I won't watch the game. That's kind of my thought. So I think as well, talking about merchandise, you can't buy WNBA stuff outside of the US. Because I, I tried to get uh, the Orange Trudy. Like the Orange Trudy, because it's the Orange Trudy became yeah. iconic, especially last season. And yeah. I was like, you know what, I'm going to get one of those. But unfortunately, you know, unless I'm, what was it? Unless I'm five years old or something, I can't get one because they don't. I wonder if it's on eBay where you'd have to spend an arm and a leg, but it's probably there. <laughs> probably and probably get shit from the states anyway but yeah right. so you've got that as well but i i'm glad that now in the uk we get the WNBA on cable or satellite 
but we still do get the WNBA league pass and stuff, which has been really good and is just as good as the the NBA's because you get all the live games. And to be fair, I think the the WNBA actually for UK viewers, there's actually quite a lot of games shown at a kind of decent UK times. So you could actually watch the games as well. That's awesome. Um, and there's always the on demand. Like, okay, so I watch jazz, right? So. They play, they're in the Midwest, so they usually play about three o'clock in the morning, UK time. Yep. But I can just watch them in the morning. I can just on demand. So no, it's definitely the way forward. It's been a great chat about your book. Yeah. Just so everyone knows it's on Amazon, so you can purchase it. The um, hard copy or the digital copy would be definitely both. And where can people find you, Emily, social media wise? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Coach Emily Williams. Because I have a generic name, I couldn't just do my name, so I put Coach in there. Um, <laughs> that's what I tell everyone. And I'm also on Clubhouse at Coach Emily W. And I do a lot. I have a website as well, which is emilytheauthor.com. On there, that's where you can find all my different programs. I do do discounted book programs. So if you are a girls basketball program and you want to buy some copies of the books, reach out to me. I can work out something so you're not paying, I think, um, US dollars. It's like $17 or $16.99 a book. I have a discounted program, uh, have a retailer program if you want to sell in stores. And also I have a um, speaking program. So if you have a team and you want to come talk about anything, I've done kind of discussion on relationships and player relationships and how to navigate those dynamics with a group and I'm actually going to be working with the Canadian group to talk about how to get involved in sports in the U.S. and kind of with the recruiting process in college leagues so I talked about lots of things so if you want me to come talk to you I can do that as well <laughs> you're very busy <laughs> I'm very busy I don't sleep either I get it I can imagine. <laughs> what we'll do then is as we do with all our first-time guests and we do hope that you come back especially because in next month, or in fact, are we in April yet? Probably by the time people listen to this, it'll be April. I think you're in April. I think I'm still in March. Yeah, I've got an hour and 20 minutes. So, <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to be launching across the pond WNBA podcasts. So that's going to be coming soon. So I think we should definitely have you back for that when that launches. Uh, but for the moment, what we'll do is we'll do your top five sports films of all time. So we go five to one one being your best, top, top, okay. top one, because some people get confused by this. <laughs> so what we'll do is we will start off with your number five. I'll be honest, my number five, I'm stuck between two because Ford versus Ferrari is an amazing movie. Love that movie. But then also I just watched the documentary Varsity Blues, which talks about the college athlete scandal. So I'm like, that might be a sports movie. So I'm kind of stuck between those because they both provoked a lot of emotions. I probably cried during both um, <laughs> at some point or another because either I was mad that someone was scamming the system and just upset about what happened in Ford versus Ferrari, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> my fourth one is Double Teamed, which is a Disney movie about the two twins who were originally volleyball players who like became basketball players and there was like this whole emotional thing and they actually went to go play on the WNBA so again seeing another story of girls going to play professional basketball that's a good Disney movie um, I really enjoyed that my third favorite which you might laugh at is Fever Pitch I mean it's, a, it's about Fenway Park you can't you can't knock me I went to college next 
I picked my college based on how close to Fenway could I get. I'm like, how many miles? A quarter mile? Cool. This is where I'm going to go now. Hang on. It's called Fever Pitch. Yeah. Oh, see, there's a Fever Pitch film about Arsenal Football Club. So I got confused there for a second. Oh, oh no. I'm talking about the Fenway one. Fenway Maybe one, we fine. stole it from you guys because that's probably what happened. That's what normally um, happens. Yeah. So. <laughs> So, so that's my number three my number two is the sandlot i mean a good baseball gig growing up that's come up a lot. That's come up a lot. oh i bet it has it's just one i think we have it on vhs <laughs> and dvd and blu-ray katie brinkley is the same i think she has it on all of them and yeah. digital somewhere um, yeah, probably probably have it on some streaming service um and because I am a warm-blooded American, Miracle on Ice is my number one. Miracle on Ice is your number one. Wow. Yes. And there's a few Boston college players in that team, wasn't yes. there? And it's just such a good, it's that under, uh, I talk about being an underdog in my book and it's something I truly identify with. So any underdog story just like lights me up and the fact I'm like, this actually happened and I've been to the rink. Um, so it's one of those. Yeah, no, it, my brother miracle, played in the rink miracle has, has come up a couple of times um if it more if i actually came up at the weekend on across the pond nhl jenna harner um from pittsburgh and wpix she had miracle on ice miracle on ice as a stage show uh, the miracle yeah uh, on there with kurt russell because that was that was a really good film i only seen it last year for the first time and i was like wow this is like such a good film. How have I not seen this before? I it was a really, really good film. Strong. Oh, I quote it. Yes, I quote it. Like the teamwork aspect of it and bringing the East and the West Coast together. I quote that stuff to my kids. I'm like, you, we have to live by this. And they're just like, again, my kids were born in the 2006. So they have no idea what I'm talking about. But <laughs> I'm like, you'll so get I, it one day. I tried that with any given Sunday, but like, all the kids had seen it, so that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, mine are too. I don't know what my kids are into. I'm trying to figure that out. This, I have a new set of kids, so it's just like figuring out what are they into so I can start quoting it. But a lot of them are into, I don't know, just social media. I'm like, oh, this is great. They just have their heads in their phones. Uh, Every the practice. I, their during breaks, their notifications blow up more than I think mine have ever blown up. And I'm like, cool. You guys are more popular than me. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, you've just got some text from your mom. So. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. My husband being like, what's for dinner? Yeah, that's, that's how it usually works. Well, yeah. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really good. I enjoyed your book. I thank hope you. people will continue to buy it because I think it's a good eye-opener into yeah. what girls have to go through in sports and the barriers that are in their way. There's more than one or two. And certainly, let's hope that over the, the coming years that girls continue through sports and the dropout rates kind of stop and, and we see a bit more growth um, and there and I think things like the WNB being shown on TV and on YouTube and all this kind of thing I think that's that's certainly a positive way forward from those leagues and let's hope we see more of it I think there's a, a national women's hockey league final that was recent we didn't yeah. get to see it over a year sadly but oh, but that's that's some, something else for, <laughs> for, for women as well another sport that women can be good at and you know at a tv audience which is great only in the states but you know things start off we'll get there and hopefully they'll uh, reach it. it took 20 23 years for the WNBA to get to the uk so hopefully it doesn't quite take that long 
fingers crossed we'll get there fingers we'll crossed. get across it's not it's over the internet at the end yeah exactly we've got lead fast <laughs> anyway yeah. thank you so much for joining us emily you have a good great day thanks you too you've been listening to across the pond nhl podcast part of across the pond sports network we have episodes dropping every tuesday so join us next week sports social podcast network